invite you to stand together as we reflect on God's Word this morning. The passage is before you, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Would you join together in the reading of God's Word? The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs to the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Please be seated. I encourage you this morning to take your outline in hand and uh, follow along and, uh, as we dissect and ingest this passage together. Last Sunday we began a series of messages on, uh, which is going to constitute our giving, serving, stewardship campaign this year. And the theme of the series is All Hands on Deck. And uh, we're using the image of a battleship to define the church. That's an appropriate image. We are in a battle for the soul of the world and the nation. Our mission, the most important mission in the world, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we said last Sunday that if this battleship, if this troop carrier is to fulfill its mission, the church fulfills its mission best when it, as a battleship, is experiencing vitality and power and effectiveness in four what we would call ships of the faith. We started by looking at worship. In the next two Sundays we'll discuss discipleship and stewardship. This morning we're going to focus on one of the vitally important ships of the church and that is fellowship. You see, on a battleship, it's important for the troops to get along, to work together, to be committed to one another. You see, a carrier can be at sea for months and months and months at a time. And the battleship can have all the best equipment, it can have all the weapons, It can have all the resources it needs to fulfill its mission. But if the people on board don't work together, argue with one another, are divided, then that battleship's ability to fulfill its mission is going to be In the church, we call this coming together fellowship. And it is hugely important in the life of the church. 
And it's hugely important in the life of every individual in the church. Now, unfortunately, we live in a day in which the concept of fellowship has been grossly minimized and made kind of shallow. I like the way Trevor Hudson describes it. He says, fellowship has become such a weak and vague word in the English language. It calls to mind coffee in the church halls, shaking hands at church doors, and making conversation with people we don't want to be with. Was this really the reason God sent Jesus Christ into our world? Is that what we mean by fellowship? Well, when the Bible talks about fellowship, it has something far deeper, far richer, far more meaningful than coffee in the gathering room between services. As wonderful as that is. In the Bible, fellowship is the way that believers do life together. And that word together is really important. In the book of Acts, together, that word is mentioned over 34 times. In this passage... It's mentioned three times. They ate together. They worshiped together. They studied together. They met together. Now, to help us understand the concept of fellowship that the Bible talks about, I, I want to use an illustration that uh, I think provides some great images for what we're talking about. And that is a net. A net was instrumental at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. One of the first things he did, he saw a group of fishermen with one of these, and they were throwing it out. They were trying to catch fish. And Jesus calls them to be disciples. Jesus organized his disciples. They, in turn, began to invite others. And Jesus said to them, one day, you're going to be catching people. And in a way that maybe we, no, nobody could see at the time, basically what Jesus was doing, Jesus was building a net of people. And we have become, as a church, we are a net. Now, what, what is a net? A net is a series of strings that by themselves really are not that useful. But when they are tied together, in a certain pattern, they provide and are able to, to, to fulfill a great purpose. Now, if you look at a, a net, it is basically a series of squares joined by four knots. Now, letting this be an image for us of what it means to be in fellowship with one another, bound together, think about this. Imagine that each of us are one of these squares. And we are bound to the square next to us, and the one next to that, and the one next to that, and the one next to that. We are bound together by four knots, one in each corner. The early Christians experienced profound sense of fellowship that enabled the church to flourish. And when we look at their lives, we see the knots that created the net that held them together. I want to suggest that our fellowship is like a net. 
And the four knots that held them together are the four that will hold us together and create a strong bond. So let's take a look at what they are. Fellowship happens when we devote ourselves, and this is the first fill-in-the-blank there, to God's Word. God's Word. Look at what the passage says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Every day they met together in the temple. Now we have to keep in mind that they did not have a Bible to pick up like you and I have and open it and read it. Whatever they knew of God's Word was what was presented verbally to them by the apostles. And so they devoted themselves. They hung on every word. They, they gave themselves intently to listen for and understand the Word of God. And the apostles taught it. And they taught the people about Jesus. And how Jesus was God incarnate, come to live among them. In that it was Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Not some other teacher, not some other prophet, but it was Jesus and He alone who provided for them the means of salvation. And it was through his blood shed on the cross, that their sins were forgiven and that they were made into new persons. And they taught the people about the love of God, the grace of God, the truth of God. They expounded on the word of God. And the people devoted themselves to it. That is what makes our fellowship so unique. Our fellowship first and foremost, is rooted in, is founded upon, is sustained by, is fed by God's Word. You see, we can get fellowship in a lot of different ways. Any, any number of our local civic clubs, the Kiwanis Club, the Lions Club, the Rotary Club, they're great at providing you an opportunity for fellowship. Our Chamber of Commerce monthly provides opportunities for you if you want to have fellowship with other people in, in town. But our fellowship is different. Our fellowship is centered on the Word of God. You see, we do not come here on Sunday mornings to find out what the world thinks, what the world believes, and what the world wants us to do, and therefore shape our lives around it. We come to discern and to know more and more of the Word of God. We do not come here to discern and know what the latest trends and fads are so that we can go home and pursue those as the way to live our day-to-day -day lives. We come to know and experience and know more of the Word of God. It's the foundation of our fellowship as it was for them. For them. Uh, there was a Sunday school teacher who was teaching her little class the story in the Bible about Martha and, and Mary and, and how they were just going crazy, you know, getting their house ready for Jesus to come visit. How it was so anxiety producing, and uh, at least for Martha. And the teacher said, uh, kids, what would you do if you knew that Jesus was coming to your house this afternoon? One little girl didn't hesitate. She said, I know what I would do. I'd go get the Bible. I'd put it right smack in the middle of the table. Jesus would know what we put first. I think that's a great way to define the fellowship of the church. We put the Bible on the table as that which is more important than anything else. And let me tell you, our fellowship 
remain strong and stable when we are rooted in it. But fellowship begins to crumble if we take our eyes off it or try to strip it of its authority over us. Fellowship is nurtured when we devote ourselves to God's Word. Here's the second thing. The second knot, if you will, of this net is what we could call the shared life. The shared life. The passage used the words community. They devoted themselves to community. All the believers were united and shared everything in common. You see, they did not just worship together. They did life together. They... Uh, shared together. If one was in need, they came together to meet that need. They took care of one another. They took a genuine interest in one another. They were constantly helping one another. That's the heart of what we mean by fellowship. A commitment to a shared life of loving and caring and devoting ourselves to one another. You see, we need to understand that this, this business about being a Christian Being a Christ follower is not a two-person canoe. It's not me and Jesus. A lot of people, that's that's the extent of their faith. Me and Jesus got this great thing going on. I don't need you. You don't need me. Y'all do whatever y'all want to do. I don't need the church. I don't need any sense of fellowship. It's me and Jesus, and life in faith is kind of like a two-person canoe. That's not it. You need to understand that this thing called being a Christian is not like a 10-person pontoon boat in which you invite your 8 or 10 circle of friends or your Sunday school or your group, and that's pretty much the extent of who you care for. No. Understanding fellowship in the body of believers is understanding and realizing that we are on a ship, and there are hundreds and hundreds perhaps of us and we care for one another, and we love one another. You need them, they need you. And you realize that every one of us is a part of the spiritual family. The other day I was watching the Animal Channel. By the way, if you need a a diversion, if you're kind of up to here with all the political stuff, you know, and uh, if you need a break from that, the Animal Channel has some great diversions. I was watching the Animal Channel, and uh, in this particular scene, uh, it, it was like this. There was a herd of buffalo. There were maybe 150, maybe 200 buffalo. And off to the side, there were six hungry lions. And the lions had in mind a buffalo dinner. So as the scene plays out, the buffalo were grazing, and there's one buffalo that is grazing, but has kind of wandered away from the herd, and he's about 75, 100 feet away by himself. The lions see an opportunity. So, how do six lions attack a buffalo? They had it all planned out. One lion runs and grabs the back ankle of one of the rear legs of the buffalo. Another lion goes and grabs the ankle of the other rear leg. And they hold on until the buffalo slows and finally stops. At that point, a third lion 
jumps on the buffalo's back. The fourth lion approaches from the other side. And I'll spare you the gory details of what happened next. But the shocking thing about that scene for me was this. While this horrible, violent thing is going down, the herd just stood there watching. They didn't do a thing. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? What if the buffalo, what if the herd had lowered their heads, snorted their breath, and in mass lunged toward the lions? The lions probably would have turned and run for their lives. And the fellow buffalo might have been spared. That's why fellowship is so important. You see, on our own, we're vulnerable to all kind of attacks, all kind of threats upon our faith. And in the fellowship, we're surrounded by brothers and sisters, fellow believers, who are there to pick us up when we fall, who are there to encourage us when we feel defeated, who are there to be for us strength and perseverance when we don't have either. That's the power of fellowship, the shared life. And that's what they knew. But that kind of fellowship doesn't just happen. It happens when we commit ourselves to love and support and, to, and that we decide to share life with others. Who are on the ship with us. And the stronger a church's fellowship, the stronger the church's ability to be the mission, to complete the mission that God has given it. So with the, with the question or the theme, all hands on deck, my question would be, uh, are you by your level of engagement and relationship Nurturing such a fellowship or hindering such a fellowship. The third knot. The third knot is simply this. Meals. They shared meals together. Look what it says. They ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. Now, the temptation might be to look at that and think there's not much there and just go on to the next thing. But boy, listen, I believe that something powerful is being suggested here that we might overlook. They shared meals in each other's homes. Now, that says a lot. The fact that they shared meals with one another means does it not, that they got along. They loved one another. They forgave one another. They were all on good terms with one another. They enjoyed being together. You see, you don't invite people you don't like to your house for dinner. Do you? I mean, let's be honest. Think about our fellowship, for example. 
And let's be honest. There's some folk in our fellowship that you really like. You like an awful lot. You talk all the time. You, you do things together. And because you like that person, you've probably had them in your home for a meal. Or y'all have gone out to eat together. But there are also some folk, maybe, that you're not that crazy about. You don't talk to them. Maybe, you know, you're harboring some hurt or resentment or maybe you just flat out don't like them for whatever reason. Chances are you're never going to invite that person to your house for dinner. I mean, come on, let's be real. Some of you are already thinking in your mind who that person or persons are. You know that the early believers had a powerful fellowship because we're told they shared meals in each other's homes. But, here's what we need to ask. Now hear this. Did they share meals in each other's homes because they loved one another? Or, did they love one another because they shared meals in each other's homes? Could it be that the meals were not a result of their caring for one another, but were actually the means which enabled them to love and care for one another? Were the meals evidence of their fellowship? Or were the meals part of what created and kept the fellowship alive. I believe it's the latter. And if that is the case, what would happen here in this fellowship if we did the same? Now hold on. I'm fixing to propose crazy out there idea. What would happen if you were to identify someone in this fellowship that you don't like, that you don't get along with, that maybe you've had an attitude about, And what would happen if you invited that person or those persons to your house for dinner? What if they accepted? And what if you use that occasion to confess a wrong attitude, 
Maybe confess that you've judged them unfairly and you ask for their forgiveness. Could anything powerful happen in you and in that other person in such a moment? Are you willing to try? That suggestion anywhere else would be ridiculous. But in the fellowship of believers, it's nothing but appropriate. Maybe the meals... have a power that we haven't thought about that much that kept their fellowship strong and could do the same in ours. And then finally, the fourth knot that binds us together as it bound them together was prayer. We're told they devoted themselves to prayer. Their fellowship was rich and powerful because they prayed with one another. They prayed for one another. They prayed for God's wisdom and discernment. They prayed for the lost in their community. They prayed. I have this picture of a group of people who every time they came together, a significant part of that time was spent praying. They wouldn't say a prayer. They prayed. Today, we say a lot of prayers when we come together. We open up a Sunday school class by asking someone to Say a prayer. In most of our meetings, we open the meeting by saying a prayer. We close the meeting by saying another prayer. But when was the last time? Do you ever remember a time when you went to your Sunday school class And the class said, this morning, instead of beginning by saying a prayer, we're going to spend all of our time together on our knees or or in our seats offering praise and adoration to God. We're going to spend our time together this morning praying for one another, praying that God's Spirit would fall upon our Sunday school class, praying that God's Spirit would fall upon this church. And we're going to pray for the people, the lost people in this community who don't know Jesus. And we're going to pray, God, what is it that you're calling us as a class to be and to do at this season of our life? When's the last time you went to a meeting of a church council and the chairman of the council, instead of saying, all right, we're going to open by saying a prayer, they said, you know, tonight 
we're dispensing with our business and we're going to spend our time together tonight praying before God and asking God to forgive us of our inability to understand His will for us. We're going to be praying that God would pour out His power on us as a counsel, that we would discern, be able to discern what, it, what God is calling us to be and do in our ministry in this season of our life together. They spent their time praying. And that's the, that's the, the fuel that kept their fellowship vibrant. More than anything else, I'm convinced, the fellowship that they had was strong. They were filled with love and power and a sense of community because they were devoted to prayer. I love what E. Stanley Jones, the great missionary of the last century, said about prayer in, in uh, his life. And I've shared this before, before, but it bears repeating. He said, I find God fading out of my life to the degree that prayer fades out. Prayer tones up the total life. I find by actual experience I am better or worse as I pray more or less. If my prayer life sags, my whole life sags with it. If my prayer life goes up, my life as a whole goes up with it. To fail here is to fail all down the line. To succeed here is to succeed everywhere. In the prayer time, the battle of the spiritual life is lost or won. And I think that, that what held true for E. Stanley Jones holds true for each of us individually, and it stands true for us collectively as a body of believers. The more we pray, the more of God's spirit and power flows through our lives and our committees and our groups and our decisions and our worship. The less we pray, the less of God's power and God's spirit flows through our groups and our committees and our ministries and our worship. They devoted themselves to prayer. So there you have it. Their fellowship rooted in God's Word, celebrated by sharing life together, devoted to meals with one another, and a life of rich and abiding prayer among them. And what was the result of all that? A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs. The Lord added daily those who were being saved. Folks, enjoy, enjoy the coffee in between services. But please, Please don't 
understand that to be what the Bible talks about when it talks about fellowship. It is something so much better.